welcome to Talking Kotlin, the second episode that we have now in our new YouTube format. Uh, I'm once again here with uh, my co-host, Hadi. Hadi, how are you? I thought you were going to say you're here with your neon lights. I got to get some neon lights. I, 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 can't, I need to look as awesome as you do. And I got to remember this time to look at the camera. Last time I was like looking at you, which you're not on the camera. But I'm good. How are you, Seb? <sighs> Everything is fine. There's a lot of cool Kotlin content to be made. Um, and I think we should start that in this episode as well. So Wait, um, how- wait, wait. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Wait. What? We're not going to talk about the weather? I like, know that this is kind of the the whole this, like, it's like the whole talking Carlin thing, you know, like talk about the weather. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, you want to talk about the weather? How's the weather? No, screw the weather. Let's talk about the virus. No, no, screw the virus as well. <laughs> no, let's talk about uh, Scotland. Who's our guest today? Yeah, do you want to answer that for us? No, I'm gonna. I'm asking that. you. <laughs> yeah. So today we got uh, we got John O'Reilly here today uh, with us. Uh, he's an Android software engineer at Neat, and he's also a Google developer expert for Kotlin. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, guys. Nice, nice to sort of meet you in person, I guess, or as much as face-to-face yeah. as can these days. Yeah, so far, so far, it's only been, been Twitter messages and GitHub issues for the two of us, I think. <laughs> exactly. I think this is one of the cool things of the us moving to YouTube is that you can actually say you've met us. Well, I mean, yeah, we meet yeah, each other, right? We, yeah. Which is literally just looking at each other. Yeah. Now, now, don't. I know you've only said a few words, so I, I'm going to guess here. I'm going to go out on a limb. O'Reilly, is that by chance Irish? <laughs> yeah. How did you guess? <laughs> I watch way too many movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I sometimes get asked, you know, are you any way related to the publishing house? You know, and I, say, I say, you know, I wish I was. It was you killed conferences. You are part of the part. You are part of the reason that O'Reilly <laughs> killed conferences. <laughs> oh no. Well, um, let's let's actually introduce maybe the topic of, of today, because um, even though you are an Android engineer, what you do actually kind of goes quite quite far beyond uh, just Android development. Uh, we're, we're actually planning to talk a little bit more about all things Kotlin multi-platform with you, because you've been doing a lot in that space as well. But actually, I mean, you've been you've been doing a lot of development work in general for for a long time. You want to kind of like give us the, the short history, the, the highlights so that people kind of know who you are? I'm always sort of wearing this sort of discussion that I don't sound like one of these, you know, back in my day, you know, we walked barefoot, <laughs> barefoot into, you know, we were lucky to have shoes sort of thing. But um, no, no, yeah, I've been I suppose, working professionally for over 30 years now um, as a hobby even before that. Um, and, you know, uh, over that time, working across a range of sort of different industries and domains, I spent my my sort of career, as I sort of sometimes mentioned, conveniently lines up along decade boundaries. So... I think I spent the 90s working on desktop development uh, in here in Ireland. In the, in, lived and worked in the US and the UK for a while. Came back to Ireland in 2000, uh, just as the dot-com bubble was about to burst. Um, somehow got a server-side Java development job. This is the time when you could you didn't really have to have the skills in the area you were being hired in. <laughs> um, so yeah, they gave me a job. So and that, that sort of started a decade of server-side Java development. And um, then in the company I was in, I joined in 2008, uh, Project I was on two years later in 2010 got cancelled, and one of my one of my colleagues in San Jose got put in charge of this new team developing for this thing called Android, and he said, "Hey, do you want to join up?" You know, and so that was the start of my sort of there's a lot of serendipity, I suppose, and sort of chance occurrences, but that was the start of my Android career, and that was the start actually of working. I've been working remotely full time ever since then as well. So you are basically as probably a 
around my age, more or less in the same line. Like both of us, this is the point where both of us can say, Seb, you weren't even born when we were programming. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, exactly. I, I regularly work with people who were born after I graduated, you know, so it, 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 you have to sort of put that to the side. I mean, you, you can't, you know, particularly when technology is changing so fast and you're working in an area that the person so much younger than you may even have, you know, frequently has more experience than you has in that, have in that area. So you, you don't get too focused on, on your age or, or experience. Of you hear that, Hadi? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not focused on my age. I, I, I appreciate every single piece of white hair that I have. Uh, I've worked hard for this. Three kids, three kids. Yeah, but like, anyway. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, John, I got to ask you a question. Regarding de a desktop and server side, what did you start in? Like what technologies were you using? So it's interesting. So I, like, as I said, a lot of serendipity. So I, I when I finished college in 1990, I started a sort of full-time master's doing um, speech recognition using neural networks of all things. Back then, that was sort of, you can do that out of the box. I was watching the Kotlin DL talk yesterday where a couple of lines of code, I can do that. Um, but this was sort of writing everything from scratch in C in terms of audio processing, FFTs, and, and, and the neural network implementation themselves. And it, there, was, there was a need for something kind of graphical. And I had done some DOS development for a while. And, and so Windows 3 came out, I think, around June 1990. And I um, said, so, oh, this looks cool. You know, I can sort of do some Windows graphical, you know, UIs for my speech patterns and my neural networks and so forth. And um, again, more chance occurrences, a, a local company was sort of starting to do Windows development and said, hey, you know, obviously not too many people doing it at that stage and said, hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to join us? So I sort of, that's, again, that sort of started the decade of doing Windows C, transitioning to C++, um, Windows SDK, MFC, Calm, ATL. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, the usual thing. I remember those. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because obviously I've been toying with um, Compose for Desktop right now, and there's sort of a little bit of a sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it. Kind of throwback? Back. Yeah, 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 throwbacks to sort of desktop development a little bit, so it's funny. Uh, what's what's old is new again. So when when did you when did you actually start with, uh, with developing Kotlin then? So um, I'm trying to think, when was, I guess it was the announcement of Google I.O. in about, Five years ago now, is it? I can't remember. Um, uh, anyway, so there was an announcement with Google at, at Kotlin. I, I, you know, to be honest, I hadn't. I know a lot of people had been aware of Kotlin on that stage and were very excited about it. I, I was a little bit in the dark. It, it was something quite new to me. I hadn't been that much aware of it. And I suppose it's a good segue to another point. I suppose you know, as in most companies, we probably weren't in a position to start using Kotlin straight away. You know, um, and what I have and I, I had and I have an, an application in the Play Store called Galway Bus. Uh, it's, it's, some, it's actually an, it's an open source project. It has an app. Hopefully, people find somewhat useful that actually does. But for me personally, I, I sort of use it. I it kind of I overload it somewhat in terms of as a platform to try out new technologies. So when the Android Arctic components came out, first of all, um, you know, I used it to sort of try those out. And then when Kotlin emerged, I sort of start gradually migrating that to Kotlin. And, and you know, similarly with Kotlin multi-platform down the road a little bit. Um, and then, you know, as is frequently the case, trying that out there then became a platform to say, okay, now in the workplace, okay, this looks interesting. Let's start to use this here. And then shortly after that, then, you know, down the, maybe a year down the road after the announcement, maybe uh, we start to use it at work. And, and we start to use it gradually in, in a particular project. And then we ended up doing a kind of, for various reasons, we did a complete rewrite of our project. Um, and we started from the ground up then. It was Kotlin, all Kotlin, Android architecture components, coroutines, and so forth. So. So was this your first kind of multi-platform project or not? Um, so the, at that stage, I wasn't using Kotlin multi-platform, I guess, at work. And, and, and the, the Goway bus app sort of had, um, you know, I suppose to give, you know, a, a little bit more background there, you know, like, this is it. So we've been working on, on mobile for about 11 years now. And I guess over that period of time, like many of us, you know, we would have um, 
we would have seen a sort of succession of cross-platform. I guess, you know, there's always this sort of cross-platform versus multi-platform, but cross-platform is like kind of understanded as sort of right once sort of approaches, you know, the, the, the app accelerator, you know, or React Native approaches. And, you know, over the course of various projects in the, comp- the previous company I was in, you know, a new product manager, somebody would come in and they'd have read some headline saying, you know, this allows you to do everything in one one place. You know, you can write all your code in one place. We don't need to have all these separate I- iOS and Androids. And each time you'd have sort of had to, the burden of proof, I guess, was on, was, was on us to sort of prove that, particularly we were working on video conferencing applications and we had to prove that this, this wasn't suitable for the type of applications we were developing and the sort of platform integrations we needed and, and the user experience we needed. Um, but I'm saying that, I suppose, as a segue to, you know, um, I guess what, what got me interested in content multi-platform, because when I when content multi-platform, at least when I was aware of it, I think around 2018, towards the end of that, it sort of immediately struck me as, okay, this this is a pragmatic, sane approach, finally, to the sharing of code, you know, across multiple platforms, mobile. And we, I'd been involved also, by the way, in sort of a number of initiatives over the years for, for pulling in C++ shared code into um on desktop, which you know, it's it's at least a somewhat more sane approach. But I don't know if you guys have worked with JNI or had to work with JNI. You know, um, I well, have been fortunate enough. No, don't, don't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like that that's one of those topics that if you can, you usually avoid it. I guess. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you if you can avoid using it as well, like as you know, it's it's you know, we had to, there were areas we had to use it, and there there are practical reasons why you have to use it. And it's one thing using, I think, as a sort of a stateless library that does a particular function, as you know, we do for maybe a media engine, for example. I, I just wanted to say on the topic of JNI, I think this is this is going to become a, a bit more interesting again now, also with uh, with all the topics around Compose for Desktop, um, because a, a bunch of like system integrations, I don't know, things like global hotkeys or stuff, the 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 JVM just doesn't really expose. Uh, so I, I think uh, some some of the people at the at the forefront there wanting to write uh, libraries. Uh, yeah, they might <laughs> might have to go that route anyway. Yeah, and and uh, you know, if, if you're using it for sort of what you might call a stateless library that does pick a function, I think it's one thing. But using a complete your complete shared logic with the framework, with the threading involved, with the lifecycle aspects of that is a different story completely. You know, debugging, crash reports, all that sort of stuff. Um, so having gone through that, and I suppose having seen the sort of attempts at sort of pulling in and and sort of pushing us towards cross-platform uh, frameworks. Kotlin multi-platform sort of just was just immediately, you know, like the fact that it was Kotlin, the fact that we were using Kotlin, you know, obviously was an advantage it was, or a positive from my perspective. But more generally, I think it was a sane approach. You know, it was targeting shared logic. It was tar- it, it had a kind of an, a, a mechanism, I suppose, or, or a capability in place where you could sort of, and this is critical, you could incrementally adopt it. You know, you could start pulling it in for some small area. And I think the general advice today still is that you start doing that, you sort of move it in, you take some particular business logic, maybe maybe remote API endpoint access or so forth, and then gradually build up from there. And, and you know, there's another kind of whole discussion point around how you socialize that and how you get, in particular, iOS developers interested and in, in accepting of this approach. But, you know, that's the topic in itself. But I, certainly certainly from that perspective, at least, I think it's very important to start small. And and, and as I said, it, it, the key thing about Kotlin Monitor platform that uh, appealed at that point was that it had that capability that it it was it lended itself to that sort of adoption uh yeah so so just to kind of to 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 recap your point you feel that the that the main difference between kotlin multi-platform and these other cross-platform uh toolkits is is what exactly that you can adopt them incrementally that you that you stay away from uh from ui uh what part would you say is is kind of the most interesting here there's quite a few different aspects, I think, and, and cutting across a couple of different areas. Um, 
you know, on one hand, I, I think, uh, you know, if, you, if you've been involved in cross-platform at all, you're very familiar with Kevin Galligan and, and sort of, you know, one of the sort of primary advocates and, and you know, uh, of this for some time. And I think he, did, he describes it as, as a sort of a, from a perspective of risk management as well. You know, you, you're trying to, you're, you're trying to avoid locking up. So obviously, I think key dif- one key differentiator among other, uh, there's, a, there's a number of them, I think, but one key differentiator is if, if you decide to use React Native or you use Flutter or you use, you know, a variety of other approaches that have been there over the years, there's a strong element of, of lock-in and, and, you know, it's an all or nothing sort of approach really. With with Cotton Platform, it, it allows you to manage the risk. You know, you can you can sort of pull in gradually and start using it. Then the flip side of that then is, is and this sort of touches on a couple of areas, obviously, but focus on shared business logic. You know, um, as an iOS, as an Android developer, I want to use the best of breed technologies, IDEs, capabilities I can. I want to use SwiftUI on, on iOS. I want to use Combine, the reactive framework there, likewise on Android with Kotlin and, you know, coroutines and flow and so forth. And um, that that's a key difference here, you know, that focus. And, it, you know, it. I think it touches on another area. I think it, we, we've got to sort of a certain level of maturity, I think, with Kotlin multi-platform, where I think it's a good sign in some regards that we've gone beyond, okay, this is proof of concept, you know, what, what's it about? We're now sort of digging in deeper into sort of architectures and, and different approaches you can use. And I think this is, I sometimes, it's a little bit of a, a sort of a simplistic way maybe, but I sometimes mentioned, you know, quotas, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. So I think we have to be careful that, you know, it's, it is, it's, it's main sort of um, selling point is, is it's focus on shared logic. You know, I, I see a lot of discussions are sort of pushing up further up the stack, you know, to the view model and potentially, you know, you hear in this, in the context of Compose nowadays, of course, um, why can't we do Compose for iOS? You know, and I think there's a danger, to be honest, you can't generalize too much, there's a danger of going too far up and then it just becomes another cross-platform framework, I think, you know, our approach in general. Um, you know, th- the key selling point, the, and particularly when you, if you get a discussion around how you socialize this and how you get buy-in from other teams, you know, is that it has that focus and that it continues to have that focus, I think. Um, do you feel like teams understand, or I mean, not in general teams, but people understand the concept of shared logic? Because I, I, I felt at least, you know, initially that folks, when you when you were talking about shared logic, they would focus on a specific thing, which is like business logic, right? and not think that I can actually share other things. I could share maybe, you know, abstractions over logging, abstractions over other types of aspects of my application that isn't specifically about the business logic. Have, have you encountered that? Do you think that that's still something that people get confused with when when we talk about this multi-platform and common code approach? Yeah, I, I, maybe to a degree. I, I think the other way, I suppose, it's sometimes um, uh, labeled, I suppose, as a non-UI code. I think that's maybe a little bit more, um, you know, informative. Indicative, right. Indicative, yeah. And, and yeah. The, the, you know, just in terms of what you just mentioned there, I think another very good example I see sometimes, I've seen a few people mention is analytics, for example, you know, um, and, and in the context also of the socialization aspect of saying, okay, what are, as an iOS developer, what are the areas that you don't really enjoy working on? <laughs> um, what are the things that, you know, that you'd like to sort of, you'd be very happy to have sort of somebody provide a sort of shared code for you, you know, the use, maybe some core data interaction that you're doing, you know, now I can, somebody can write this, start, you know, this can be done in SQL Delight, for example, in shared code, and you don't need to worry about that. You know, I work over the last 11 years, I've worked very closely with the iOS developers on the various projects I've been on. And they're typically, almost without fail, very passionate about what they do. They're very focused on you know, the latest, greatest. They want to create very compelling user experience. They want to use the best, latest tools available to them. They're working in an environment on iOS, which tends to move a little bit faster than Android in terms of adoption. Uh, and they want to be able to pull in and use the latest uh, capabilities. So I think that 
this is where you know it's very important how you phrase this and how how you manage this. You know, I, th I think if you focus on areas that are sort of non-platform specific uh, to to large degree and, and areas that are sort of just not that much fun, maybe not you could describe as maybe not that much fun to to work on. And not not to put off people trying, you know. But when I say not much fun, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to sort of put off people working. <laughs> um, but maybe maybe just from a, I guess from the perspective of a UI developer who's focused on trying to creating compelling user experience. So um, I actually want to, uh, to to shift the topic a little bit of, of this discussion because so the the way that I actually got to know you and all the stuff you do um, at uh, all around Kotlin. Well, once of all, it's your uh, your Twitter account, of course. Uh, I still don't know how you managed to tweet about our blog posts before <laughs> we managed to do it from the official accounts, even when we have like a three-minute delay. Actually, you want to share how you do that? Like, I think the last time around, five. I, think, I think we were joking about this on Twitter. I think the last time around, that I, I was a little bit conscious of that. I, I saw a thing and I said, okay, I'm going to wait a bit longer this time. So I'll, I'll get the chance. And, and I think you purposely held off a bit longer this time. But, and <laughs> finally, I can't, I can't wait any longer. I'll tweet it. Um, but yeah, I spend. I obviously clearly spend way too much time on Twitter. So yeah, yeah. I think I've seen you do that with Ktor times as well. It's like we're, we're in the process of releasing, and you and you're like, uh, you know, the the stuff is on Maven, but I don't see a blog post. So I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, like, it's nice to keep finger on the finger on the pulse, maybe a bit too close to the pulse, maybe. But yeah, no, it's yeah, great so, actually. Yeah, so if you want to get really really up to date information, make sure to follow uh, John at at J O'Reilly, I believe. Yeah. Um, on on Twitter, where you get that's not Tim O'Reilly, that's Jay O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but but the other part, how I of course got in touch with uh, with your work is is your GitHub account, where you have a bunch of different examples for Kotlin and especially Kotlin multi-platform. Uh, do you want to like tell us a little bit about the the stuff you have on there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose just to give, I suppose the primary one, the one that I sort of started off with was was people in space. And I mean, just to sort of give a little bit of history of that. And, you know, I suppose the focus for me has been the combination of Kotlin multi-platform and declarative UI. I think that that's sort of the critical, not the critical, but sort of the compelling combination, what I think is a real productivity sweet spot we're sort of converging on. And I mentioned, I mentioned sort of the GoAway bus application, and, and I sort of had used that as a platform to try out, Go, to try out um, Kotlin multi-platform when it came out. And um, I think, you know, in the context of, of, of Descartes UI, I, I sort of, I'd been at Google I.O., I think, in 2018 or, or 19, actually, I guess, when Compose was announced. And um, I'd like to say in retrospect, you know, that, oh, I, I, you know, there was an aha moment. I went, okay, well, this is something really interesting, you know, groundbreaking moment. But it, it didn't really strike me at that point. I, I, it wasn't really available to try out. And I, I'm very much someone who wants to, needs to code and to sort of, you know, to sort of prove to something out. And, and so it didn't really register that much. But then a, a couple of weeks later, I, I was watching uh, SwiftUI. Uh, sorry, I was watching WWDC and, and they announced SwiftUI. And what was interesting there was that they actually, uh, you could download an Xcode beta immediately, pretty much. And so straight away downloaded it several hours later in the early hours of the morning. I had sort of got to a good point with this sort of content multi-platform code uh, where it was sort of you know, I run into various issues, and it was working pretty well at that point. So, I guess as as, a, as an Android developer, you know, when you're opening up Xcode and you're trying to get an iOS development, you know, you're not doing that frequently. And I sort of struggled with storyboards and view controllers. And SwiftUI was immediately okay. Wow, even more so than it composed to some extent. It, first of all, seeing that announced was a sort of a validation that declarative UI was was something here to say, something I should pay attention to. But more so, it was it was really approachable from as an Android developer that I could very easily put an put an uh, iOS UI together. So I created something with that, and I worked with that for a while. Um, but as I said, it was, it was sort of unwieldy. And, and um, coming towards the end of 2019, um, I thought, OK, I really need to create. There wasn't really that many samples around. 
And I wanted to create something that really sort of got across. I, I saw a lot of confusion around Quantum, what Quantum Platform was. I saw a lot of people struggling with sort of getting dependencies right. Back then and today, even to some extent, it's always a little bit problematic getting the right versions, the right combinations, the right Gradle configuration. So I needed. To, I thought it's okay. Let, let me try and create something that I would have found useful. And um, sort of somewhat serendipitously, I think coming up to Christmas in 2019, if you know Ken Kusin, you probably do. He tweets a lot about Java and Kotlin now. He wrote this very interesting short article about you know example of using Kotlin and using it. I think he was using Retrofit at the time, but he used this endpoint to get uh, the people in space, the list of people in space. You know, it's a very very simple endpoint as you can imagine. And this sort of immediately struck me. Okay, this this was perfect. This fitted perfectly with what I was trying to get out from this. I wanted something. This word I overused probably minimal. I wanted a minimal project that you could see at a glance. You could you know there was very little noise there. You could see at a glance what the key moving parts of Kotlin Monte Platform project was. You could open it up, run it. And you say, okay, that's what it's about. And and you know, sort of just slight tangent here. I mean, when, when, you know, you guys obviously know very well about sort of developer advocacy. You know, and and I think when you talk about it, I mean, there's multiple stages. You know, there, where we were at and where 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 we are, some sort of Kotlin platform. You need something that addresses a point where someone just wants to get a flavor of something. They 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 they, they see this something called Kotlin platform. Maybe they're not about to use it. They're, they're, they th they want to know what it's about, what the capability provides, and, and there's a need at that point to provide something that abstracts maybe some of the complexities. You know, you, you don't need to, in the context of Kotlin platform, you don't need to initially get into Kotlin native concurrency model, for example. You know, if somebody just wants to try out and, and understand what Kotlin platform is about, you, you don't want to really sort of pull them down that <laughs> that road too uh, too much that they don't need to at that point. So anyway, so Kotlin, so people in space was born out of that. Then it was sort of just a very simple project that was I tried to cut down to as much as I could, the bare minimum, um, to get across you know what it was about, and it, it seemed to strike a chord. I think it was just came came at a good time in terms of people's, you know, that people were starting to explore Kotlin multi-platform. And this actually leads me to to something I want to ask you uh, that I've been recently discussing, and Seb Seb Seb's aware of this. It's it's in regards to wizards, and I tweeted a couple of days ago about how important do you think a wizard is? And and to clarify, when I'm talking about a wizard, you can use it on the command line with npm install or start.spring.io or start.kato.io, whatever, right? It's essentially a, a something that allows you to generate and get up and running. Okay, now, from a perspective of someone evaluating the technology, like you say, that I just want to start something and get it up and running, how important do you think this is? A and secondly, Apart from the learning aspect of it, do you think that it's important that people have this template every time they want to start a new project? Yeah, I, I think again it comes down to the sort of stage people are at. I think to some extent, you know, I think you need to provide different things to address the different stages people are at in terms of their initial sort of exploration and, and then starting to use it perhaps for the first time in, in, in anger, so to speak. Um, yeah, no, I, I think this is interesting. Like, so Kotlin multi-platform ecosystem. I mean, there was of course. I guess how long, maybe six months ago, is it? There's a sort of a, somewhat of a rebranding around Cotton Multi Platform Mobile, KMM. It's still effectively a you know, Cotton Multi Platform, but I think obviously it's focused on the, on the key aspect of multi sharing code on mobile. And part of that was a Cotton Multi Platform plugin, um, which more and more people are starting to use. Uh, you know, and, and it gives you the ability to sort of create a basic um, starting point. I mean, something that I guess was missing, I guess something maybe. You know, and, and if, if that was around, maybe the time people in space was, was created, would, there wouldn't have been as much, I guess, maybe. 
need for that or, or it wouldn't maybe have, have sort of been something people would have used as much because they would have had this capability. But certainly, you know, that, that plugin has, has been a great sort of addition. Um, but I think if, if, if you think about, I suppose, in the context of how Cotton Monte Platform can continue to improve and sort of mature, I think that's one area that I, that I definitely think there'd be huge value in, you know, taking that Cotton Monte Platform plugin, um, saying, okay, right now it produces a very sort of basic I don't know, Hello World, I can't even remember, sort of Hello World type uh, multi-platform project, but how about saying, okay, well, I want to use Ktor, I want to use SQL, I want to use Kotlinx serialization, um, I want to use SQL Delight. Um, maybe you use some third-party endpoint or maybe JetBrains hosts various endpoints, for example, and you say, okay, this is, I want, I'll, I'll pick this example endpoint. You give a list of maybe five or six endpoints uh, with associated data model around those and you say, I want to, this, is, this looks like an interesting sort of starting point for me. So something real, something that's not just sort of like a hello world, but I think, this, I think there would be huge value in having something like that in Cotton Monday platform that, had, that brought in those dependencies, that brought in the right versions of those dependencies. For example, maybe as part of that wizard, you could pick, okay, uh, for whatever reason, I still can't move to Cotton 1.4.30, I'm on 1.4.21, for example. So you pull in the right combination of dependencies that work with that version of Cotton. And, and likewise, and then someone has a starting point and they, and they can change that around as they need to do, I guess, which is what people are doing with, I guess, a lot of these templates right now. Obviously, you know, along with the ones I have, you know, obviously Touch Labs have some, have some very good ones as well, like CampKit, um, that people, I guess, are typically will, you know, I hope people aren't starting multi-platform projects from scratch these days. You know, I think I think it, it's, it's a sort of, I do see people, by the way, who, who, who are, that do seem to be doing that, but I strongly recommend starting with a template. It, it can be sort of problematic, particularly starting off. Uh, getting everything right. Well, what what I personally um, also where I see a lot of value for for the templates that you and other folks have built is that they give you some kind of opinionated approach. Because when you when you just start with a technology, it's kind of hard. Like a lot of questions come up about: Am I supposed to do this? Can I do this? Is is someone going to shun me if I do this? When you have a little bit of code that someone else has written, it already gives you a little bit of confidence um, in this regard. So I think this this is quite interesting. On on this on the same note, actually, have you found that there are any particular uh, architectural patterns, for example, that are well suited to the to the multi-platform world specifically? Especially considering that everything's kind of a declarative UI framework out there these days. Yeah, it's interesting, and I think that's one of the appeals, just just to some extent, of of, of the declarative UI approaches. I, th I think it gives a very clear separation of concerns. You know, it, it sort of enforces almost um, a certain architectural style. You know, um, in terms of the way you know what people like. Has, I sort of joked about this a little bit on on Twitter the other day, like sort of tongue in cheek, but people talk about unidirectional data flow. I sort of sometimes think these sort of labels are a little bit sometimes grandiose um, things that we probably are doing anyway, but certainly likes of declarative UI um, forces a certain style in terms of, you know, um, uh, sometimes people call MVI, unidirectional data flow, having sort of a sealed class representing your UI state, which is emitted from a view model, for example. Um, so I think, um, I think there's still a lot of scope. I mean, having said that, and again, sort of just as a good segue to a point about Kotlin platform, I think is, is it doesn't force you down a particular path in terms of your architecture, um, and that's a critical aspect. I think you know there's there's scope in in the examples that I have. Typically, there's a, there's a sort of nominal repository class, and there's a sort of a, a class representing a remote API, API endpoint, and then obviously it's using something for persistence. You know, if you're using sort of clean architecture, you might have a use case layer, for example, and the use case layer would probably could very well belong in in your um, shared code as well. Where things get a little bit, maybe an overstatement to call it controversial is, I suppose, is where the view model resides. You know, I think if you are using a view model, 
there's some discussion around, okay, well, maybe declarative UI, you don't need to use a review model. I think a lot of scenarios, I think you still need something that, fit, that fits that function. And um, I tend to sort of, in any of my examples so far, I, I've, I've kept the view model in the native, in the sort of native tier, I guess, native layer. I see a lot of examples and people pushing towards using the, 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 the view model in the shared code as well. And you can do that. I mean, that's that's the great thing, is it? But it has it has implications around. <clears throat> one of the things when you talk about sort of development and, and the maturity of Katamani platform, one thing I think we, we, we that one area that I think would like to see some improvement would be, or I hope that there will be improvement around, is things like scope management, coroutine. Uh, you know how we how we Kotlin one point four, for example, gave you the ability to call suspend functions directly. You know, in, in shared code, there's still a sort of unknown around flow. How do I manage flow, for example? You know, how, how do I map to a combine? I always combine publisher, for example, um, and there's implications then around where who manages the, the core team scope. There's the structured concurrency aspects of that, and, and there's critically there's the lifecycle aspects of that because at some point you need to tie that into the lifecycle of your your mobile application. Um, so those kind of things are, are sort of I think still up in the air a little bit, and I think how they develop a little bit will will sort of will give people I guess will give people more options in terms of how you know where they can target the shared code. And and I want to touch. I think we should touch up on compose a little bit, and also uh, Ktor, because yeah, Ktor. <laughs> but um, to kind of wrap up a little bit, multi-platform. Where do you see the ecosystem? I mean, one of the things that I don't know if you're aware of that package search functionality that that we have in an IntelliJ idea that we created also, which is one of the reasons that that was born was my own frustration with trying to find dependencies and libraries for Kotlin. Right, especially coming from another ecosystem, uh, we're not there yet. We still want to try and improve the experience. Uh, but how do you see the overall ecosystem? What, what, what do you think is kind of like missing for for multi-platform to really take off, if you will? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned about the wizard. I think uh, I think something like that. that I, I think the plugin is probably. I'm not even sure what the roadmap is, but certainly the I can imagine there's just, there's a, there's a roadmap of, of sort of functionality that that people want to add to that plug. And I think as that expands, I think that will be very useful. Well, of course, the other dynamic is we're, we're seeing um, more and more libraries available for Kotlin multi-platform. That's a critical aspect. Uh, you know, that's going to obviously put people in. You know, if, if there's one thing, I suppose, that in the earlier days, maybe um, they gave people pause for thought a little bit was maybe, okay, they they couldn't do this or they couldn't do that. For example, the Kotlin multi-platform, there wasn't the various libraries. Now there's a ton of libraries. I mean, um, coding, coding, open, you know, have this DB, uh, open, what am I trying to say? Oh, no, no, SQL, no SQL database that, that runs there, for example. Um, I, I've been trying out the um, uh, GraphQL, the Apollo GraphQL, uh, which runs in Kotlin multi-platform. There's sort of DI frameworks now available, Coin and, and, and Coding. Um, you know, so there's there's a wider range. I think I can't remember. I think it was uh, who mentioned this earlier. In a, in a there was a talk the other day, and, and um, they. They had given a version of that talk sort of maybe a year before, and they had one slide which showed all the Kotlin multi-platform libraries, and they said, no, they, can, they obviously can't do that anymore. It definitely doesn't fit on a single slide. There's a much wider range of, of libraries available now. So that's that sort of thing. And I suppose, you know, as, as um, I mentioned about the, the sort of, I, th I think that there's a lot, some confusion, I suppose, and may, maybe um, around the interaction between, I, I saw, I think, on the roadmap, I don't, I don't know where it is in the roadmap right now, but there, there's sort of, Native Swift support, I think, would be interesting. Right now, obviously, you go through this sort of objective C mapping, um, and then I think Kotlin Native. There's the scope for Kotlin Native to expand in terms of like it, they did add this capability where you could call you know uh, suspend functions directly. 
But I think there's scope for some co-generation there around flows, for example, you know, the mapping of the, the creation of the scope, the, 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 some hooks to manage that and to cancel it and to map it. Even as I said, you know, there's uh, one of the guys from Touch Labs I did a sort of a blog article last year where they mapped uh, a cotton flow to uh, an Oryx Swift, for example. Um, I, I did a similar exploration recently where I was using a combined publisher. And there are things I think that could potentially be generated automatically, you know, based on a particular annotation. I think there's, there's sort of, it's plumbing, what would you call it? Plumbing code that could just be added as an example, at least even, even if people weren't to use it. And then it becomes, because that's the thing, I mean, a lot of these, the danger of some of these things, particularly, you know, I'm probably guilty of the same thing. Some of these samples is they're a little bit toyish and they don't, they go so far. Um, but practically, you know, most applications these days need to consume a cotton flow, for example, as I said, and something that makes that easier. Um, in, in a multi-platform environment, I think will help a lot. Yeah, and if you're developing libraries, just make sure you don't host them on JCenter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Minor little thing there. Yeah. Like the whole world is collapsing now. Yeah. Global climate change? Yeah, screw that. We got, we got yeah, JCenter yeah, yeah. going <laughs> down. <laughs> so if if you had the the option to to kind of call out to the community and tell them to, to build build one more multi-platform library. Do you, do, do you see some kind of space where, where people could still innovate besides uh, adapters for, for concurrency? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. I guess it, you know, the, the mo most of the general purpose areas are, are kind of pretty well addressed right now. If you, know, if you want to make a robot API request, you want to do serialized, deserialized JSON, there's, there's um, persistence, obviously, capabilities with Seek Delight and, and now CodingDB, for example. Um, we see things like Kotlinx daytime, you know, experimental libraries. That was a kind of an important one, I think, that's available now. File.io, I guess, is, is something that's kind of developing as well. Um, I think I think I saw that OKHTP has a multi-platform version now as well. Um, so, you know, once you've got the key key bases covered there, I think you start getting into more domain specific, I guess, you know, I suppose. Um, but we're, we're, I think we're close to a point where, a critical point, I suppose, where the sort of the key common use cases are, are, are addressed and, and there's capabilities there that you can use. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw this one I'm gonna throw Hadi a bone here because uh, you said that there's a, a way to do um, HTTP requests quite nicely in Kotlin <laughs> multi-platform. Um, is there a specific library uh, that you've been working with yeah, here, or uh, that you would like to recommend? Maybe I'm trying to remember what that is. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm I'll I'll joke inside. I'm 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 a big fan of Kator. Like I, I think it, it sort of. Um, you know, used obviously like like many people who use retrofit in the past, use other approaches, and that, all, all. <laughs> thanks. I'm late, but that's, that's what that you were going to say, right? This this is this is a visual joke um, for our listeners. How do you just put up a piece of paper with the word Ktor on it? <laughs> oh yes, of course, because we have listeners on the podcast, which is still yeah. happening. And if you haven't checked out the YouTube, where you can see Seb's amazing neon lights and my gray hair. Check us out on YouTube as well. And this segment has been brought to you by Talking Kotlin Promotions. Anyway, John, <laughs> anyway, you were saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I know. Says I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Cater. I mean, I, I suppose I would have used Cater, started off the Kotlin, and then more recently I've been using it on the sort of server side, so, so to speak. And, you know, both of them obviously take advantage of, of Kotlin's DSL type approach, I think, which is very nice, you know, particularly on the server, more so, I think. Building a building Kotlin client, or building a client that uses Kotlin is almost trivial at the stage, to be honest. You know, it, it's a couple of lines of code in many cases to sort of, you know, hit an endpoint, get your Kotlin serialization, typically, you know, mapping over. On the server, I've been more, you know, I've used it a little bit more, and I guess you, you sort of, things like installing features that you can add, you know, 
that again that DSL approach just makes it very very nice you know and time time again we've kind of come across a particular thing that we needed to do and wonder whether and it turned out there was a feature that we can install to do that and um, it was very, it was a very pleasant experience using it on on both client and server but but certainly yeah and and this is, I suppose actually even on the client side I suppose it's another interesting point. Why I would you know would would sort of suggest to people to to use it, is that even if you aren't thinking of using Kotlin multi-platform straight away, I think there's a sort of mindset maybe well, so okay, let's let's make what I'm creating Kotlin multi-platform ready. Um, you know, okay, I don't. Ha I think in the future I might use Kotlin multi-platform. I don't have any particular needs now. I have a choice now in a new project. I think it's a good reason to use Ktor and, and various other libraries at that point. So okay, at least by doing this, I'm 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 multi-platform ready. I can now, you know, migrate that to a shared module that's Kotlin multi-platform. So apart from documentation, which we are working on, but you know it's it's a lot and it takes time. Uh, what are your main pain points right now with Ktor? Um, I don't. I mean, I don't think I have, have any particular ones right now. Um, <laughs> okay, no, just the stop there. Answer. That's it. That's it. That's <laughs> like, we don't need to go further. We're, right, we're out of time, folks. <laughs> it was great. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I I guess there have been things we we. You know, again, some of these were probably just down to me learning that you know there were certain things that we struggled with at some at different points uh, that either asking Kotlin Lang or, or discovering a feature, you know, some stuff we were doing around sort of JWT token management and things, you know, on the server side um, that I sort of hadn't been aware of what capabilities were available and sort of the right approach to do the right patterns to use. Um, that was more sort of an education on my part. Yeah, part. we're actually improving that. So we're making a marketplace where not only our features are going to be, but you can upload your own features and, and in a simplified way. So a lot, lot of stuff on the roadmap for, for KTOR. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like, actually, the other thing we're, we're doing, which is quite nice, we're using sort of a, th a third-party library for Swagger generation, um, which means that, you know, if you go to sort of a particular URL slash API docs, you now get a sort of an automatically generated Swagger UI uh, where you can try out the endpoints. You can plug in a token. See the documentation for the different endpoints. Try them out. Uh, see what the JSON is, for example. Uh, you so want to shout out that library? Uh, <laughs> I can we'll try to. I can. Make it. We'll we'll just add it to the show notes yeah, later. Yeah, so I'll, so I'll check you, that. I'll, I'll ping you afterwards with it. Um, uh, because yeah, I think I think it's it's, it's yeah. I definitely recommend it. It's very just a really nice capability. So before we wrap this whole thing up, I actually want to want to tackle one more topic that is very close to my heart. Uh, we've kind of talked about it a little bit beforehand. Um, or well, we we noted it on the side, and that is that you're also doing a bit of compose for desktop um, in in your applications. How was your experience there? We we kind of we kind of said that it's maybe a bit of a throwback to to your historical days on the desktop. How's how have things changed? How do you how do you like working with it? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's a fundamentally different approach. I mean doing Windows sort of MFC development. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It couldn't couldn't be more different, really. You know, in so yeah. many different levels. Um, you know, and obviously having done a little bit of compose, obviously on on mobile, the transition is, is very straightforward. You know, um, <clears throat> you no, know, it's very nice. I mean, I, I've used it on a couple of the a couple of the projects I have. I also sort of I came across. I mean, most of the projects, I guess, the the various cultural multiplatform samples that you mentioned. Uh, uh, so I tried as much as possible to keep cultural, uh, people in space as minimal. I overuse this word, but minimal as possible. So when I want to try something new, I typically create a new project for it. Um, so I, I have a you know a number of different projects that sort of allow me to try out. I, I mentioned Apollo, GraphQL, or, or the Coding DB, for example, and so forth. And um, and one of them, actually, one of them was kind of interesting was this, this Chip Eight. You know, this one is sort of, sort of was a little bit different. I, I think Cedric, you may have seen Cedric Boost. He had he announced he had this uh, nice project. It was swing based, and um, I thought, okay, this is an interesting 
example. First of all, okay, can I do this in Compose? And it turned out to be very, very straightforward to do that. Uh, before before you dive into this, could you just super quickly explain to our listeners uh, what Chip 8 is? Yeah, this is another sort of, I guess, throwback because uh, sort of slight tangent, but I guess the AJ Matt, I would have spent a good bit of time in arcades growing up, you know, um, playing Space Invaders and so forth. <laughs> really about a show my age now. And so this, I think that was one of the appeals of it. This was sort of a, somebody had developed a sort of an emulator that um, mimics the, um, you know, the microcontroller that was used in those arcade games typically. And he had, a num he had the code for, you know, Space Invaders and a number of other games. And he wrote a sort of Kotlin emulator, which is very interesting. And it, it just occurred. It was more so than some of the other projects. This was just something I think that was a little bit of fun, really. Um, he wrote so, so, sorry. So Chip 8 is is what? It's it's an instruction set for that, that you can emulate? Or it's, it's, is yeah. it a physical machine? Or? No, it's, a, it's an instruction set, at least as I understand it, um, you know, that emu emulates the sort of the, the, the instructions you know that we used in in those, syst those systems, the arcade systems at the time, and he wrote a Kotlin um, emulator. Obviously, that emulated that you could you know had a sort of a, a virtual CPU, had a sort of an abstract display and keyboard, and you know, sort of as an initial exercise, it was kind of interesting. I brought that over to Compose for desktop, and that turned out to be a very straightforward exercise. But of course, you know, I had to scratch the itch and create a Kotlin multi-platform version of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So uh, you know, pulled pulled his code into with a few small changes, Kotlin multi-platform module, and then the sort of display keyboard abstractions then were in the UI code in the Swift UI and the, and the Jetpack Compose, and the UI was sort of you know the emulator generated this sort of buffer basically display buffer you know which was so and it was just a matter of putting that onto a canvas and on both Compose and Swift UI, and 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 you had sort of something then that kind of emulated that. So like I said, it kind of was it was more of a fun exercise really. But it, it was an interesting, just just as yeah, in, on on the context of desktop, you know, it, it was just it was nice to see. It was it was sort of how quickly you could put something together like that, you know, in, in, on, you know, on the desktop with Compose. So, um, are we gonna see a, a Kotlin JS version of that emulator as well at some point? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for coming on today. It was really good talking to you, and we'll see or hear all of you uh, in the next episode of Talking Kotlin. And if you haven't checked us out on YouTube, if you're listening on, to us in the car while you're commuting to nowhere, because we still don't commute, make sure you check us out on YouTube. And, Seb? Remember to like, subscribe, and hit that bell. That's the best part of the job. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, I think it's below, I, actually. I've been working on my biceps so that you could see when I do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, take care and see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.